Hello, Mighty Warriors. Welcome to the Mighty Warriors podcast, a podcast dedicated to inspire and encourage you to experience a deeper intimacy with God and to be transformed by His Word in your everyday life. I'm your host, Colette Correa. Thank you for joining us as we take a look at unbelief and the essential pillars that are needed to believe God. Warriors around the world, welcome to episode 50 of the Mighty Warriors podcast. We hope you're well. Wherever you're listening from, you're welcome. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this episode becomes an encouragement to you as it strengthens you in your walk with the Lord. And so, without further ado, let's get into our episode. So I will start by giving you a little bit of an overview and then get into our portion for the day. The Israelites have been in the wilderness for some time now, since they've left Egypt. Before bringing them into the promised land of Canaan, God taught them his decrees, laws, so that they may follow them in the land they were going to enter to take possession of it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, Moses encourages the Israelites to follow those decrees and laws and says to them, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? So those laws and decrees were intended to be a compass to guide them through their day-to-day as they related to God and to one another. As they're getting ready to enter the promised land, We read in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 how they are sent out to spy the land and what their response was after they spent 40 days exploring the land. I greatly encourage you to read those two chapters in your own time, as it would take quite some time for us to read the entire two chapters here. It would, in fact, probably take the entire episode. Nonetheless, I will read some portions of each chapter and give somewhat of an overview of what happened. Here's what we read in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. So, those leaders, those spies, 
were sent out into the promised land, and they spent 40 days there. Later on, we read, still in the same chapter, in verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negevs. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Enoch come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. From there, everything becomes chaotic. Moses and Aaron fall face down before the people. Joshua and Caleb, who were among the twelve spies, plead with the people to come down and encourage them to believe that God will give them the land. But the people talk about stoning them, and God intervenes. God appears in the tent of meeting, outraged at their contempt. Moses pleads with God to not destroy them, for him to preserve his people, and in the end, the men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land are struck down and they die of a plague before the Lord. Only Caleb and Joshua survive since they had believed God's report. But as a consequence, the entire community of Israel is condemned to remain 40 years in the wilderness as shepherd to suffer for their unfaithfulness until the last of their body lies in the wilderness, as those who are 20 years old and above are condemned to never see the promised land. They are to remain in the wilderness for 40 years because it represents a year for each of the 40 days they explored the land. So all of this happens because 
of their unbelief. Numbers chapter 13 and 14 clearly deals with unbelief, the stubborn refusal to believe. But there are four different questions that I'd like for us to address. Number one, what is the difference between doubt and unbelief? I recently read an article that was very interesting in crosswalk.com entitled, What is the Difference Between Doubt and Unbelief? by Pastor Colin Smith, who is actually the senior pastor at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the northwest suburb of Chicago. I'll read a portion of that article, and here's what it says. It's important to grasp the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is questioning what you believe. Unbelief is a determined refusal to believe. Doubt is a struggle faced by the believer. Unbelief is a condition of the unbeliever. Unbelief involves spiritual blindness and a determined resistance to God. Of persecuting believers, Paul said, I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I could not understand the truth, which was, in other words, ignorance. And I was deeply resistant to the truth, which, in other words, is unbelief. That was his condition, and the only cure for it was what happened on the Damascus Road when he was wonderfully converted. He discovered that Jesus is Lord, and the whole disposition of his soul was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He moved from a position of unbelief to a position of faith. The passage referring to Paul's statement is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. When we read the entire context in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, Paul shares his testimony. We see a Paul who recognizes that it was ignorance and unbelief that was preventing him from receiving salvation. But by God's grace, he was able to receive the faith that was necessary for him to believe through that experience that he had on the Damascus Road. Concerning doubt, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 6, a doubting person is likened unto a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Here's what it says in verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So what is the remedy to crush unbelief and doubt? Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we read in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe 
that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So our first question was, what is the difference between doubt and unbelief? Now let's address our second question. Number two, what are the consequences for unbelief? Number one, unfulfilled promises. God had already given the land to the Israelites. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 2, he had said, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. But because of their unbelief, it did not come to pass. Number two, God's judgment. Because of their unbelief, they had to now remain 40 years in the wilderness, which was irrevocable. Shortly after, the Israelites repented by confessing that they had sinned against the Lord. But in their presumption, they got ready to fight the Amalekite, even though Moses warned them that they shouldn't go because God would not be with them in battle since the judgment had been that they would remain in the wilderness for 40 years. We read in Numbers chapter 14, verses 44 and 45. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites, who lived in that hill country, came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Horma. Number three, another consequence for unbelief that I'd like to point out is actually condemnation. For the one who chooses not to believe God, there is condemnation. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, once again, very appropriate for me to mention, even though I mentioned it before, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In 1 John chapter 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus how he must be born again to see, to understand the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to explain in verse 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Then, in contrast, in verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Our first question was, what is the difference between doubt and unbelief? Then, the second question was, what are the consequences for unbelief? Now, number three, how can we overcome unbelief? Believing in God and believing God 
is the foundation. There is a difference that I must mention between believing in God and believing God. Believing in God means believing there is a God, while believing God means taking Him at His word, no matter the circumstances. Some people believe God and others don't. Why is that? What is the necessary ingredient for people to believe God? Believing God is a choice. However, God not only wants us to believe in Him, but to believe Him. Because we mentioned before, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. I think that by now you probably memorized this verse since I've mentioned it three times now. So are you content in simply believing in the existence of God or do you want to experience more? Are you open to taking an additional leap of faith by experiencing God, believing Him as you take Him at His word. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, the word of God has to be proclaimed, declared for people's faith to be stirred up in people's lives. Faith is a very crucial element in our walk with God. And for this reason, I'd like for us to look at four essential pillars we need in our lives as a foundation in order for us to maintain a strong faith. Pillar number one, believe God is who he says he is. Throughout the Bible, we encounter God revealing himself in powerful ways. A great example of someone who believed God was Moses. When Moses encountered God in Mount Sinai, God revealed himself to him as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, as we can read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Even though Moses was initially skeptical, that he was the adequate person that should go to Pharaoh to demand for the Israelites to be released from bondage, Moses believed God was indeed who he said he was. He trusted him. He trusted his word and went to Egypt. With God's help, Moses performed many signs and wonders. He demonstrated that none of the gods of Egypt were greater than God. In fact, through the ten plagues, as we have seen in previous episode, God defeated the gods of Egypt. So, God fulfilled everything he said to Moses and demonstrated that indeed he is who he says he is. Through Moses and Aaron, he crushed the Egyptians' God and demonstrated his power by delivering the nation of Israel out of bondage. Had Moses not believed who God says he was, he would never have gone to Egypt and by faith performed all the miracles that God led him to perform for the deliverance 
of Israel. So in conclusion, we should be able to say that when we believe God is who he says he is, we get to see the work of his hand in great and mighty ways. Pillar number two, believe God for what he has accomplished. When we read the Bible, we are encouraged to read the countless stories of how God made promises that he fulfilled. None of God's word failed to be fulfilled. Before Jesus was crucified, he performed countless miracles. He healed the sick, the paralytics, the lepers. He forgave people's sins. He restored sight to the blind. He rose the dead back to life. Nonetheless, although some were amazed at his teaching, others did not accept him, and they did not believe his message and miracles. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, we read that Jesus could not do many miracles in some places because of their unbelief. Jesus' disciples saw many miracles in the course of his three-year ministry. In fact, before his crucifixion, on numerous occasions, Jesus told his disciples he would be killed but would rise again. We read that in Luke chapter 13, verse 33, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew verse 17, verse 22, and Mark chapter 8, verse 31. So when Jesus rose from the dead, and appeared to Mary. She immediately notified the disciples that she had seen the Lord, but they did not believe her. Later on, Jesus appeared to his disciples except Thomas, who was not present. When the disciples gladly reported to Thomas that it was indeed true that the Lord Jesus had resurrected from the dead and that they had seen him alive. Thomas said in John chapter 20, verse 25, Unless I see the nails marked in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas refused to believe what God had accomplished. Eight days later, Jesus appeared to the disciples again, and Thomas was present and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29. Modern day Christians place their faith in Jesus without having met him in person, without having seen him perform miracles for three years. However, Scripture says that the given account in the Bible is given so that we may believe. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In conclusion, we can say that when you believe God for what he has accomplished and do not doubt, you are blessed to have the opportunity to believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and as you believe, you obtain life in his name. Pillar number three, believe God will do what he says he will do. In the book of Genesis, God approached Abraham and called him to leave his father's house and go to a land that he would show him because he was going to make him into a great nation. Later on, God told him he would become a father and that his descendants would be as numerous as, as the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky. That was great news. But there was a problem. He and Sarah were too old. Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65. How would they ever conceive a child at that age? As if they were not old enough, God waited 25 years before fulfilling that promise. He reappeared to Abraham when he was 99 years old and Sarah was 89. And he reconfirmed his promise as we read in Genesis chapter 17, verses 3 through 27. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did not see his age as an obstacle. He believed and trusted that God would fulfill what he said he would do. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 15, we have the story of a Roman centurion who goes to Jesus to beg him to heal his paralyzed servant. When Jesus asked if he should go with him, the centurion tells him he considers himself unworthy to have him enter his home. However, he tells him confidently that he would be very content if he only says the word that his servant would be healed and that would be enough. He goes on to explaining that he being a man of authority tells people under his authority to do such and such and they do it and he knows that one word from him will cure his servant. At this, Jesus is amazed. He marvels at his faith and even exclaimed that he has never seen such great faith in Israel. Then Jesus says to the centurion, as we read in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 8, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This centurion believed Jesus was able to accomplish what he said he would do, and indeed, he returned to his home and found his servant healed. 
In conclusion, we can say that when we believe God is able to do what He says He will do, we receive the blessing He has in store for us. Pillar number four. Believe you are who God says you are. The Bible reveals to us that we are sinners and that sin separates us from God and that the only way that we can be forgiven is to receive the free gift of forgiveness through Messiah Jesus. But when we reject the free gift of forgiveness through Messiah Jesus, we remain in our sins and are separated from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, we read, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Another passage for us to point out is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we are told, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we repent and accept the gift of forgiveness through Messiah Jesus, God gives us a new identity. He helps us understand our potential and guides us in discovering our purpose and destiny. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we see the heart of God. It tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Acts Chapter 17, verse 30, we read, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to Him. When we repent and accept the gift of forgiveness from the Lord, we are given a new identity in Christ. All throughout the scriptures, we are able to see how we have been reconciled, redeemed, justified, freed, how we have been delivered, how He protects us from the evil one, and how the Holy Spirit indwells us. He washes us through His blood. He sanctifies us. He seals us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
we become the light of the Lord, the light of the world, a light that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. We are no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. We are valued by God. We are a new creation called a sweet aroma to God, adopted into God's family and joined to the Lord and one with His Spirit. We are loved unconditionally and secured in His hand. We become co-heirs with Christ, chosen, holy, and blameless before God, children of the Most High, a branch of the true vine, a friend of Jesus, God's workmanship, created to produce good works, ministers of reconciliation who are never alone. We are part of the body of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, citizens of heaven who have been reconciled to God through Messiah Jesus' death and saved through Christ's life. This is who we become and so much more as you discover that through the word of God. So in conclusion, when you believe who God declares you are, you discover your true identity in Christ, which he has reserved for his redeemed sons and daughters. Gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes I feel like the Father who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. He was seeking healing for his son, and when Jesus told him, All things are possible to him who believes. In that very moment, when unbelief was at the threshold of his heart, he confessed to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. On a daily basis, I have to fight to maintain my faith, especially when circumstances are very difficult and it seems you will not come through for me. I do confess I sometimes struggle with doubt and unbelief. So just like this father, I am saying, I do believe, I do know, Father, that you are able to do great and mighty things of which I do not know. Help my unbelief. I know that the listeners are possibly experiencing the same, so I do pray for them as well. Help us, Father, I pray. I pray you help us strengthen our faith through your word. For it is your word that will feed our faith. I pray we would commit to spend time in your word on a daily basis without compromise. As your word is clear, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
I pray we would remember that the most important element in our walk with you is faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please you because anyone who comes to you must believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. So Lord, I pray that by faith, we would commit to live by those four pillars, to believe you are who you say you are, to believe you for what you have accomplished, to believe you will do what you say you will do, and to believe I am who you say I am. This is what I pray for myself and for the listeners in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Mighty Warriors, this was our manna for today. I hope it was a blessing. Please be prayerful as I prepare for our next episode. We want to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us. And so thank you very much for tuning in. I look forward to talking to you in our next episode. Au revoir.